This is the Shift Podcast. Okay, so now I'm not saying anything bad about Ryan's in general, but Ryan said he's always sort of felt like people judged him with his name Ryan because it comes with, you know, with it comes with sort of this uh, predisposition or, or preconnotation to it. And um, I didn't really ever think that, but it's, it is a thing for him. The question is, is what is the worst name? And is it somebody that you know or that you met or where does it come from? So what's the, uh, we got about a minute here, Ryan. What's the, um, what's the story? It's a lot of people my age who are also named Ryan are kind of douchey. And like, if you go on Twitter and look up guys named Ryan, there's tweets like this one morning to everybody, except if your name is Ryan, I get so offended when I meet guys named Ryan, like, how dare you? How dare I? I didn't have a choice in this. I like my name back in the United States. Just remember that people named Ryan exist. Okay. See, it's just some people don't like Ryan. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always I always liked the name Rebecca when we were having babies. Rebecca's a great name. See, I think it's a beautiful name, Rebecca. But then my my ex wife, she was like, "Yeah, but nobody likes Becky. Like, if there's ever a Becky, nobody likes Becky. Rebecca, maybe, mm. but if she becomes a Becky, then nobody likes a Becky. So we then I got lost. I lost that battle. So I don't know. All right, well, I'll tell you what, Ryan Recker's coming up. Let's connect to St. Louis and Camel X. We'll chat with Ryan Recker and see if he goes through the same experience as our Ryan O'Donnell. Let's say hello to America as America says hello to Canada. Connecting the shift and Ryan Recker from Overnight America via KMOX, the voice of St. Louis. All right, there's been so much going on in the United States. We thought we would connect with Ryan Recker first, though. We got to find out if he likes his name. Do we have Ryan? Is he with us? Is he there? Nothing? Crickets? Maybe they're listening to us right now. There he is. We got him now. Okay, so. Hello, Shane. Hello, ha- hello, Ryan. How are you? Good to hear your voice, Shane. It is good to hear your voice, Ryan. Can I ask you a question before we get started about all the political things about your name? Yeah. So yeah. we were we're we're we doing an ongoing thing here about um about the worst names ever, the worst names to name a kid. <laughs> what are the worst names ever? And maybe some people that you met that you didn't like them, and so now you've held that against mm-hmm. them forever. And Ryan O'Donnell is the show producer here on The Shift. And he said there is a predisposition, like a preconceived notion uh, that Ryan is a bad name. Have you ever experienced that? Because he's run into that. Uh, you know, I don't know. I can't say that. To me, I, I don't have anything that comes to mind. What I hate are names that are very difficult to pronounce. As a broadcaster and someone puts a piece of paper in front of you or you're reading a news article and you look at the name and you think, oh, boy, I'm going to say this wrong. That's the type of name I don't like. Mm. You have the tough ones. So <laughs> the tough you ones. Ever, and then the I don't know. Ones. You ever go to a school anymore and they have all the kids from that classroom up on the wall and mm-hmm. it's like common names, but they're spelled differently, too? Yeah. Yeah, I always learned that if ever you have to explain it, you didn't do it right. And those are the those are the weird ones. I always find those ones I mean, so incredibly strange. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's it's curious. I for for our listeners, it's part of the conversation tonight. Um, what are the worst names um, that you've ever met, or is there just somebody named Steve that since you met them, and what did they do that you've never been able to forgive any Steve? You're like, hey, this is my friend Steve, and you're like, oh, Steve. Ugh. Oh, yeah. No, it's like that, too. When you're trying to name a baby, you're going through potential names and you think you have a good one. 
and you throw it out there and your partner will say, oh, nope, uh, I knew someone like that. They were terrible at school, could not yep. name them that. And it's that that name's completely ruined. If, if anything, it's when you're going through the process of naming a child that has to be that. And the other consideration is, do you know anyone else that has a kid with that name? So you can't double dip. You can't uh, mm-hmm. steal a name. But what if you dated somebody named Susie and then your wife is like, hey, let's name the baby girl Susie. And you're like, ha, 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 funny story. <laughs> you can't name your kid <laughs> We're after your We're going to do a hard ex. pass on that. Yeah, no, you can't. Of course not. Because then what happens? What if the ex finds out? And then the ex is going to think you named the baby after them. And then, oh, boy, that's a whole other uh, problem that you're trying to deal with there. Mm-hmm. I did uh, meet a listener once. So I used to, I was given the name Zach for the radio shows when I was doing music radio years ago. And uh, I was, I literally walked into the radio station and my boss had put out a memo saying, by the way, your name is now Zach. And so <laughs> I did meet a listener once that, uh, that came in. And uh, so Zach Hewitt was the name that I was using on the radio and I met her kids and I have a photo with her two kids. And one of the children is named Zach and the other kid is named Hewitt. So I don't know. If oh, that's... wow. Isn't that something? You know, yeah. uh, radio stations are cheap here in the United States. I, I don't think it's the same in Canada, but I've heard a lot of people mention that when they accepted a job and they went to that radio station, they were renamed based on the jingles they already had cut. So you had to find some sort of combination of whatever jingles already existed. And that was your name because they were too cheap to record new ones. That's funny. I have never heard that before. Nope, it's not. Has never had that experience here. <laughs> that is cheap, man. That's how it Holy. works. Holy! All right. So yeah. it's been a it's been a hell of a week, man. In your country, it's been confusing and it's been um, scary and it's been sad. Um, and all these things from the outside, Ryan. What's going on? Yeah, I know. It was fun talking names there, and uh, this has been the uh, difficult thing is trying to figure out what's going to how's this going to play out what's going to happen and really the repercussions of what happened at our capital when there was a protest that turned into a mob of people rushing into the capitol building while official business was being done and it was a really scary moment because you're watching some of these things unfold and people are just freely walking in to the capitol building and they're just doing so celebrating and they're doing it in a way that make it look like there's nothing wrong with this it was just so nonchalantly and they were walking around like they own the place and you're thinking i cannot believe that this is happening right now uh we had security guards and police officers were injured and, and so far two have uh, died we had other protesters that died too from some of the different injuries that happened it was a real terrible moment in history as like as a as an american man like how do you how do you sit with this i mean um to me it seems like when you go across political parties there doesn't seem to be many people that were okay with what came of it um except for some people that just don't understand i mean some of the interviews that we saw here um with the elizabeth uh lady on tiktok and she was like so in her share about getting maced as she got in the door, she was so incredibly surprised that somebody could mace her because it was a revolution and that's what she was supposed to be doing. Like, um, it seemed to me to be, um, I don't know, it's incredibly confusing because there's a very small number of people who thought this was okay. And most everybody, no, no matter what party they were, uh, you know, from, 
doesn't think that that kind of behavior is okay. I don't even know where this all lands. No, and it, I think it's a culmination of a lot of what we saw uh, long term over the past couple of years. And it's tough because there's certain behavior that becomes excused that some people would look at and say, no, that's not good. And then other people would look at that and say, well, it's just part of the process. It's only a building. So, you know, you can't be angry that personal property was lost when name the tragedy happened over here. Why would you be mad at this, but not at this? And it, all it did was create further division. And it, it just kept going over and over again. I, I think maybe one of the bigger issues is that over the past year, that all of these different protests that happened in large cities changed the way policing occurred because they wanted to be more hands off and they thought it was escalating the situation if they engaged with the rioters, engaged with the protesters, and it almost became policy. And what happened in Minnesota over the summer where you had a, a police officer involved in killing someone as part of a stop, if you remember, of course, that became a pretty big deal. Um, all kinds of different large cities had protests break out, including Washington, D.C. And one of the things is they didn't like the way that the police were interacting with the protesters. So they said, OK, we're not doing this or that anymore. So all these agencies started to change policies. And next thing you know, you look at this and say, OK, these Capitol Police officers, even though they tried to stop, they were overwhelmed. And then the policy turns into we can't do anything. We're just going to have to retreat. And then we're stuck with watching what we're watching. And I think that some people get so uh, emboldened with the idea that, hey, I've seen it before. I could probably get away with it. This is just our turn. That's a terrible way to look at it. But I feel like some people just feel like what they were doing was not illegal. What they were doing, what they thought were doing were something excusable as in some sort of um, the, the act of protest would allow them to do that. And they get into their minds and they're finding out very quickly once they get arrested, they're facing 10 years in prison for doing this and rightfully so. But there's all kinds of things that I think led up to this moment and to where we are today. The problem is it's not de-escalating. It's only escalating at this point. Well, one of the things that got me is from the outside, it looked like it was a movie. I mean, I, I it did made me make me question, say like, is this the impact of, of people who buy into movies as being truth, right? That just can't distinguish the difference because they seem to just walk in. Like to think that the police are not going to defend themselves in, in certain ways, even with the, uh, you know, the poor lady who got shot. And I do say poor lady because nobody needed to die, but, um, you know, they were breaking windows and breaking through doors. And then they seemed so surprised that the security had a gun on the other side, right? Like it, it, it yeah. seemed remarkable um, from that perspective as well. Um, did you see the video today about the guy who got denied boarding? I forget which airport it was. It made its way around the internet tonight. Yeah, the, uh, I can understand that for sure. And I think anyone that is caught and uh, you're going into a Capitol building, you better believe there's a million cameras pointed everywhere. And a lot of these people weren't really concealing their face so it's yeah. it's going to be somewhat easy for them to identify because they have a lot of evidence and because of that i think that what they're going to do is they're going to pick out every single one that they could identify positively and charge them which they should do and some worse than others because some were doing things destructive and others were just walking through but still i think everyone that set foot in that capitol building uh should be charged and I think that's what you're going to see. And hopefully, hopefully that sends a, a strong enough message that they got to change the way that they handle these 
situations. And that it, it just has to it has to be an automatic that if you're caught doing anything that resembles something like this destructive, that it's just automatically, hey, you better expect that they're going to be coming at your door one night. They're going to knock it down and then uh, arrest you. Mm-hmm. So there, there's two things that come up for me is that I, I enjoyed your, uh, you know, capital city um, about a year and a half ago. And for anybody who's listening, who's not been to DC, uh, let the Canadian tell you what, uh, what my experience of DC was. It was one of the most remarkable, beautiful, powerful, um, nicest places to go. And, um, mm-hmm. I didn't understand the difference between the sort of the, the district of Columbia versus being a state and all those things. And all the people I met, I asked questions and they were just like, Oh, by the way, this is how it works. And it was one of the best visits I've ever had to your country ever in my life. When we, we stayed in Virginia, we went to Dulles, we went to the air museum, we went downtown, we rode scooters, we went to the zoo, uh, ours, uh, from I'm in Calgary. So the, uh, the Calgary elephants are in the DC zoo. So we went to see them spike in the elephants and it was one of the most wonderful experiences I've ever had in my life. I do know this. It is a long trip from the National Mall down by the White House and all that stuff all the way down to the Capitol building. And I used to joke, it was kind of like a country song in that you could watch your dog run away for three days, right? Um, mm-hmm. And they saw the crowd coming for a long time. And um, is it not surprising the sort of lack of preparedness or politicking or whatever went on in regards to not have enough people around? Yeah, it's it really is. Um I think about having all of our elected officials in one location and not having more there at the time. There was other officials that said, don't bring in the National Guard ahead of time. It'd be a bad look if we had that. And in retrospect, we wish we would have had the precautions or better fencing or whatever it was to fortify it. So even if someone got the idea that they could be stopped at the source. And the other thing is, I think when it comes to uh, Trump rallies. There was a President Trump speech, not at that location, but close to that location. And when you go back and look at all the different rallies he's had over the past four years, it's been all without incident. And I don't know if that set a precedent where they thought, well, there hasn't been a problem before. There shouldn't be one now because we're going to have a lot more security than we'd normally have for one of these. And th- I don't know if it was just th- that was part of it or not. Maybe they just didn't want the appearance that when it came to our election and counting the electoral votes, this this is the process that we go through here in America. I know it's different in Canada, but the process where we have the electoral college in each individual state is given an opportunity for people to protest if they feel there was something wrong with that state's count. And then all of the congressmen get together, uh, Senate in the House, they have their ability to question it, either they have it sponsored or not, and then they go through with it and eventually certify the election for whoever won. And then in that case, at least to the inauguration a couple of weeks later. Well, when you have all of the members of the elected officials in one place, you would think that it would be warranted to back this up. And unfortunately, that was not the case. And then there's also questions of were they asking for backup? Were they denied? Were they not given it? Um, what What's all of that procedure like to begin with? So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of investigations of what happened. There's that TV show on Netflix, and the name has been escaping me all day today. It's the story about the the one guy who he's a house representative. He's like the spare, and he's the only guy who doesn't go to the Capitol <laughs> yeah, building. Designated survivor. Designated yeah, survivor. Yeah. But doesn't it doesn't it seem strikingly um, concerning that, you know, 
fundamentally, I mean, it was just a TV show and it was about a terrorist attack with bombs. But really, when you look at what could have happened, and I realize I'm speculating, but it is possible that that got really bad. Yeah, that's true. I guess in that case, the president of the United States would be the designated survivor, because if everyone else is there, including the vice president who presides over the Senate in this case, would be there, too. So pretty much everyone, you know, there's cabinet members, I guess they would be high ranking cabinet officials that wouldn't be there. So it wouldn't be exactly that. But when they do the State of the Union, where the president's given the yearly address and they always have someone that's uh, out just in case. It's kind of a sad reality. I mean, I guess in general, they always have some contingency plans put into place. It does make you wonder, what was the contingency plan there if things got mm-hmm. really bad? We just don't know. There, I'm don't sure know. there was a plan. Yeah. Ah, it's just sad know, all you, the way around. It was, it was just it difficult to watch. It's heartbreaking, man. It's heartbreaking to see that kind of stuff happen because, you know, the one thing that I'm a big, big fan of is those political buildings. I mean, they're so important in every country with the history of what every country's gone through. And to see it, to see them wrapped with a fence and locked up like that, um, you know, to that extent is incredibly sad and heartbreaking. I mean, there's, there was generations ago, your grandparents, great grandparents, and so, uh, same with mine and everybody who's listening did some amazing things and created some amazing new worlds. And to think that this is where we are in 2021 with um, buildings fenced off so people can't go to them. That's heartbreaking to me. It seems like a huge step backwards. Yeah. And it's uh, it's also unfortunate because I would think the last time we saw it like this, I'm sure other protests excluded would be when there's a government lockdown. They're so stupid here in the United States that they'll actually block off public parks and places like that. So mm-hmm. if you were to go to Washington, D.C. during a government lockdown or a shutdown, I should say, excuse me, where they haven't agreed on the budget. So they they shut down government uh, agencies and they shut down parks. You can you can go anywhere in D.C. that normally you'd have free access to, like, you know, the World War Two Memorial or something. And they'll put gates up and blocking you from going to see those things. That's how stupid mm-hmm. things get here. So um, lack of access probably compared a little bit to that, except there wasn't much force of anyone. It's just terrible. Yeah. Well, I hope that everybody learns from it, not only, um, you know, your country, but our country too. Uh, every, all political division around the world. I hope people learn from it and get, okay, well, here, here's a potential outcome. Is it worth it for us to sit down and, and, and work on things and actually have a conversation? Because we've all stopped talking in the last, you know, 10 yeah. years here and it's, it's getting brutal. Um, Ryan Record, thank you so much, brother. It's great to hear your voice. You know what? Um, the next couple of weeks are going to be stressful for, um, <laughs> for you and your your family and your friends and your listeners and and we're watching and hope everything works out yeah honestly it's more stressful if you are on social media looking at these things i think if anything it might be a good time to take a break from it just not to let it bother you there it is that might be for the best well shane That's it's so good, good to hear point. you again thanks for doing thanks, this brother this is the shift podcast inspiration is a strange thing you know something occurs to you like the conversation we had earlier about the name amber for a child, it just occurs to you. It kind of comes to you out of nowhere, like, like like a whisper in your ear. And I'm curious how this inspiration got started in the middle of winter, riding a bicycle across, uh, I believe it to be Western Canada. The gentleman's name is Elijah Pitskalny, and he's literally riding a bike across the winter. Like that's cold and slippery and stuff. All right. Plus it's COVID. Um, so, hey, Elijah, help help us understand, where are you tonight? I'm in Chestermere, I think, technically. 
just mm-hmm. found a nice spot of trees kind of under these big electrical lines. So you've not only been riding your bike across the uh, western half of this country, you've also been literally winter camping the whole time? Yeah, it's been pretty sweet. I've always been wanting to do more winter camping, and this is a good way to, to force myself to do it. Yeah, I'll say. Oh, my goodness. So Elijah is uh, riding his bike from uh, Saskatoon is where you started, and you're going yeah, to Vancouver. Yeah, Um Yeah. Are you from Saskatoon, um, or are you from Vancouver? No, I'm from Saskatoon originally. Hmm. But West is and, best. Just keep, keep riding West. West is best. <laughs> um, tell us why you're riding your bike across Western Canada. So I'm riding to raise awareness for the overdose crisis and sort of raise awareness to try to relook at drug policies and, and drug policy reformation. Um, and so I'm also raising money for the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition and Mom Stop the Harm. And the money is, will be split up between them uh, basically evenly. And so you do have a GoFundMe, so we've got that here for everybody. But the uh, the storyline um, is interesting. How does it affect you? Did you just get inspired by other people's stories, or is something in your life um, going on here? Yeah, no, there's no direct personal relationship to me. I don't know. I, every person's a person, so that was personal enough for me. Um, I've been kind of doing, a, I don't know, these sorts of journeys for a few years, and I just have met a lot of people um, and have been able to think about this sort of life on my own, um, which is very privileged. But at the same time, it, it always living on the road like this has its own challenges. And it just made me think about, you know, all these challenges when I'm just living my tent, uh, bicycling, which is optional for other people who don't have the option to just go into a home or visit family or visit friends or, or like for me, when I'm sitting in front of a store, People think it's cool and they ask me questions, but if somebody else is sitting in front of a store, then they, it's considered loitering. So I don't know. I just kept thinking about these sort of weird double standards and then how tricky it is for a lot of people to be homeless is a big inspiration for me to end up eventually kind of concluding that a good way to tackle that, I think, is to relook at drug policies and, and harm reduction because I think those two are connected um, often in many cases. And if it's, if somebody ends up in the streets and, and doesn't have any uh, issues with drugs, then it still tends to be mental health related. And so I think reanalyzing drug use, drug addiction, which will help shed light on mental health will also help a lot of other issues causing people to fall into homelessness. Well, it's quite the task you've undertaken, my goodness, across the prairies where I'm sure it's windy and almost to the point where you're in the foothills and into the mountains where it's going to yeah. be hilly and very winter. So what's the uh, what's the difficulty you've been through so far and what's in the story up ahead? What's next? Yeah, so far it's the wind. I mean, the wind is just every time I bicycle through the prairies, which is way more than I I would like to. I always seem to do it. And every time I'm like, oh, I'm never going to do this again because I hate the wind. And I'm here I am doing it again. It's just so tough. The wind is so hard on the morale heading west. Um, other than that, it's I think the challenges are just winter camping, waking up in my sleeping bag, which is by this point like pretty frozen. My socks are frozen and my boots are frozen. And while I'm laying there <laughs> thinking about, oh, if I want to make good mileage today in daylight, I have to basically get up at 530 or 6 
um, which is not too early really, but to get up in the cold, dark tent and take everything, get out of my sleeping bag, put my wet, well, frozen socks on and start bicycling against that wind. That's the hardest. How are you keeping everything, uh, warm and dry? Uh, do you have help with laundry or how's this working? Um, I'm not keeping anything warm and dry. <laughs> I'm, I'm warm, but definitely things are just getting wet. There, I have some certain things that I have dry as emergency that are just waiting and I haven't used. But otherwise, every day I just put on the same wet frozen socks because my boots are wet. So, or, or once they thaw, they're wet. So there's no point putting on new socks. Otherwise, oh. in Canmore, I'll meet with someone. I think because um, I've been following all the pandemic rules. So for right now, I'll wait till it's two weeks. And in theory, in two weeks, I'm kind of considered a, a single individual living by himself and he's allowed to join another quarantine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is that whole extra layer that we don't really think about going into this. Um, a bit of a surprise. So how do you get through the mountains and like the snow? Isn't it slippery? I mean, I remember trying to ride my bike in the snow and ice and falling <laughs> down all the time. Yeah, it'll be, there'll be a lot of learning to go. Um, I will basically just stud the tires and, and give it a shot. Um, what I'm banking on is the roads for the most part are melted from so much traffic, which is, um, pretty much always the case other than when you have a lot of snow, you know, right away. Um, but the roads are generally clean. Their shoulders might not be. So I think what it'll turn into is me just being kind of right as, as close as I can to the shoulder, um, as possible. Hmm. Uh, it's remarkable. I, that first hot shower, man, that's got to look, that's going to feel amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it it is actually. Um, I was doing a test run out east already um, before I wanted to start the fundraising to make sure that bicycling and camping in the winter is sustainable, at least for me. And uh, I think that was probably the longest time I'd gone without a shower or bath. So I think of this time will actually be significantly more frequent at two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, Elijah. Um, thank you for your hard work. Thanks for your dedication. Will you reach out to us and let us know how you're doing? Because if you become a shift head here and you become a friend of the uh, a friend of the show, you're always part of the family. So please let us know how you're how's it going and where can everybody go for the GoFundMe and learn more about the causes that you're fundraising for and donate. Yeah. So the GoFundMe, if you, I think for, at least for me, maybe it's because it's got all my cookies or whatever that works. But if you Google cycle to stop the harm uh, or search on any search engine cycle to stop the harm, then there should be my GoFundMe page that shows up. And otherwise, also right now. cycle to stop the harm yeah. comes right up top, very top. Yep. And it comes up. Okay. Good. That's perfect. And from there, there's all the links to the other um, social media that I've been using, but it's also just on Facebook cycle to stop the harm, Twitter, and Instagram. Those are all new to me. I'm trying to figure all that out. Yeah, good. Well, look at all the things you're learning. My goodness. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. <laughs> $20,000 is the goal so far. It's about a hundred donors, which is fantastic at $6,400. And the trek continues. Please stay warm. Will you brother? I, um, I, yeah. I, I want to know how this goes. I want to know how this turns out for you. I wish you the best. Thank you so much. Yeah. I look forward to seeing how it's going to pan out. It's the shift podcast. But it is also time to check in on the moon dial. Oh, yeah. It's, the, it's that time, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's a pretty good moon dial tonight. Woo! Woo! Wow. <laughs> Did that just happen? Wow. I was going to gargle, but that would have been gross. That's gross. 
I mean, we get enough complaints about us slurping coffee on the radio uh, quite regularly. Yeah. Uh, Let's, yeah. Let's dig into Are You Okay? Are You Okay? Are you okay with sports? Um, I'm a casual appreciator of sports. And when I say casual, I mean super casual. Like, I might go to one sports game every four years. That's pretty casual. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> I, it takes me a long time to... It took me a long time to warm up to sports, but I care about it a lot. I don't often watch games though i do like sports but i don't watch games often i like highlights and sports analysis but yeah i do like watching a live game like watching a live game is awesome oh in person yeah it's amazing yeah no hard to beat that all right i like sports i think sportsing is uh is great i love it when i'm sportsing so you know clearly uh i'm an athlete i mean i walked today I looked at my health app and I had like 600 steps. So I figured I should probably go somewhere, you know, only 9,400 more until I'm functioning as a, what they, the, what they say is you're supposed to. So SpongeBob SquarePants seems to be okay with sportsing. So did you, did you write the absorbent cartoon? Did you write that? Yeah. Absorbent and porous is he like from the theme song. Oh yes. I love it. No, it's beautiful. Yeah. I, it's, it's beautiful. Thank you. The absorbent cartoon sponge was a big part of the NFL's broadcast, the Chicago Bears and New Orleans Saints, Nolens, uh, playoff game. So cartoon shorts were used before and during the game to help teach kids more about sports, in particular football. The uh, broadcast focused less on stats, more on fun facts about the players, such as the player's favorite flavor of ice cream. Very good. Throughout the game, there were kid-friendly breakdowns of football rules, including explanations about flags given by CBS star uh, Ian Armitage uh, of Young Sheldon. And using augmented reality, you could see Nickelodeon slime in the end zones and SpongeBob himself in the goalpost. Uh, there's a here's a supercut of some of the best moments during the broadcast. Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye, Captain. I can't hear you. Aye, aye, Captain. Oh, who lives in a pineapple under the sea? Football, SpongeBob. I have no idea, but Sandy sure seems excited. Maybe she can explain it. Yeehaw! Let's let the old pink skin around the gridiron. Two legs, three flippers, hot doggy. It's playoff football time. Yeehaw! Well, Sandy Cheeks is fired up and ready to go. SpongeBob, Patrick, you can sit back. Now Will Lutz will come on for the extra point. And he kicks it right through SpongeBob, and that means the Saints are saying, I like it a lot. (laughs) New Orleans Saints, the home team here at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, take a 14-3 lead. Uh, You know, the one text comes in, this is a very good text from Dwayne. It says, sounds like they updated Peter the Puck 
for the NFL. Now you might not know Peter the Puck, right? Do you know Peter the Puck? It was, uh, it was in the late seventies, early eighties. There was a, it was Peter Pocklington, Peter Puck. And then there was this, this puck that was a character with arms and legs. And it was a book back then. Cause you know, we didn't have the internet and it was a book and we actually read it out loud and sat down as a family all in the same room and weren't on our phones. It was pretty cool. Uh, the phone was still on the wall and had a really long cord in order for you to get around the house. And Peter, the puck was a character that was a hockey puck. And that was it. He was just a hockey puck. And um, it really introduced kids to hockey. I got to tell you, and I, I draw a big distinction in sports with these partition, uh, partition, come on, brain, don't fail me now. Participation ribbons that they give out in sports today. And I think this is what they're trying to do. I'm not a fan of participation ribbons, right? Like I'm not a fan of not keeping score. I'm not a fan of those kinds of things. But this sort of introduction to sport in a playful, age-appropriate way to introduce kids this way, this is, to me, is the right path to introduce kids to sport, Yes, make it be uh, playful and fun, and it's an integral part of the sport to um, to keep score. And one of the biggest things that they've all, I've always struggled with with the whole participation thing about we don't keep score is that you also take away the celebration of the kids that did succeed. Um, in order to protect the kids that who did not, right? And so I've always struggled with that, but boy, oh boy, if they ever want to take a real good look at what the future of young kids age appropriately into sports looks like, that's it right there, my friends. If I had this when I was a kid, I would be watching sports 100% more than I do right now. And I, I highly suggest you check it out. The way they incorporated it was brilliant. Like when they scored touchdowns, you could literally see a tsunami of slime shoot out of the end zone. It was brilliant. It was so cool. So for a yeah. kid watching that, they must have blown their mind. And it doesn't take anything to do. I mean, obviously it costs lots of money for the stuff, but when it comes to kids, if you had a channel that you had the sports channel on, right? And you had that CG feed on with the animation and stuff, and you had just a normal football game for mom or dad in the corner and you had two different TV, you, you could create family time out of it. Kids on their tablets, watching these games and, and celebrating the exact same thing and enjoying sports the same way. And let's be honest, um, us guys, we're simple. We would probably watch part of the feed with the slime cause it's slime, right? Yeah. I'd watch it. Yeah. It was great. Totally. Yeah. I would. And that aired on Nickelodeon that aired on Nickelodeon during yeah. the actual Nickelodeon time. So cool. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's really awesome stuff. Very cool story, Ryan. Thank you for that one. 877-399-9898. You can continue or contribute to all of our, um, all of our UOKs, including Winnipeg has Shelly. Hey, Shelly. <laughs> hey, thanks guys for putting me on the air at such a late hour. Yeah, you bet. I'm, I'm, a, I'm appreciating the younger generation. I have to tell you, I'm going to be 59 at the end of this month. Knock on wood when I make it, if I make it. Played hockey uh, two nights ago outside with a bunch of young fellas still employed in the Western League when it gets going and the Manitoba Junior League and the Manitoba Major Junior. No helmets, no goalies, and it was intense. Uh, pucks flying all over the place like rockets because these guys can shoot. But we're still mm -hmm. hanging in there, and as long as you guys on the sports networks are giving the kids something to look forward to, there's always going to be hope in Canada. Who can believe yeah. I'm, I'm promoting Gary Bettman, but he's done the job. Let's just say he has watch hockey. Does he, does he come across and this is me being judgmental. So I get it. This is my thing. Does he come across as a slime ball salesman? No, no. I, He's the guy who everybody loved to hate. And guys like me yeah. even said, you know, I don't trust this guy, but right now 
He yeah. set the bar for all the other leagues. I got to watch NFL football today. I'm going to watch NBA basketball. Why? Because of Mr. Bettman. So I got to give him his dues. He, he He's done it. so much. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the dude, but I got to give him credit. Yeah. Um, I, I do. I find him to be like a, a used car salesman when he presents himself. <laughs> um, but I, 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 he's done amazing things for the sports he's touched. Like huge yep. things in the business of sport. And I mean, keep in mind, like one of the things about hockey right now is that, you know, the, they, they somehow are, are bankrolling somehow between all of these owners and stuff, functioning as a team and getting a plan together with virtually no seats sold. I mean, there's yes. a couple of cities that are allowing it. I mean, that's the money. And and they're finding a way to pull it off. Now, I would guess, speculating only, the NHL's got a pretty healthy bank account. There's probably a little bit of cash flow going this way, that way. The the owners are probably saying, well, look, if we're going to have to do this, we've got to help us out again. We've paid into you. You pay into us. All that stuff. But the reality is, man, they're making it work. Life is hockey. Hockey is life. Canada is hockey. Hockey is Canada. Those uh, Those dub guys? They're friggin' lights out, aren't they? Yes. Man, they're fast. They're so yes. fast. The explosive strength, and they snap the puck like it's a <laughs> rocket. It was like you were there. I was worried about the uh, young ladies with their kids skating at the rinks behind. There were skyrockets flying everywhere. These guys yeah. were really good. I was honored yeah. to be on the ice with them. They tolerated the old boys. My son, uh, my son plays midget triple A. So we, he gets the, he, there's lots of dub guys that are around uh, every now and then. And you can tell them from a mile away because yep. when they decide to go, there's just no stopping them. It's scary. It was scary. It's amazing how talented they <laughs> but are. I got to it's be nice with them boys. Keep going. Beautiful. Thanks, Shell. You have a fantastic night. I appreciate the phone call. Nice. Love you. Bye. This is the shift podcast. This whole Ryan thing might've stuck, dude. Yeah, I think it did. It's got a nice Ryan. ring to it. Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. All right, it's time for In Case You Missed It. In case you missed it on the radio, here's Ryan. The Donald. <laughs> <laughs> it did stick. Oh, oh, my God, dude. Oh, that oh. killed me. Oh, there you go, oh, Matty. You are amazing, Matt. You're a genius. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, that one. That uh, just made my whole right. morning right whole there. Night. That's the, that's it. I'm done. I'm tapping out. Me too, Matt. I can't. I have to just tell you, my girlfriend is going to have the biggest smile. And uh, my buddy Matt, Matt, if you're listening right now, I'm sure you appreciated that joke because I remember watching those vines on my couch, and we would spend hours watching stuff like that together. So there you go. Um, wow. What a great way to start it. And I got some great stuff for you tonight. Um, I got a short, sweet and funny tweet to start your week. Tweet of the day. Sometimes I find most of the time I find very topical and, and detailed tweets that reflect what's happening in the world. Other, finds, other times I just find something stupid or funny that made me laugh. And because I have a lot to talk about tonight, I just have something short that made me laugh and I wanted to share with you. So this comes from Twitter user named So Cactus So Owl. Interesting. Huh. And it's just this. Okay. This made me laugh really hard. Someone in my Norwegian studies class did not know the word for cowboys. So they called them. Any guesses as to what a Norwegian who has no idea what the word for cowboys called them? Uh, Range Rovers? Horse person? <laughs> Horse person? That's actually not far off. They ended up calling them 
American horse pirates. <laughs> horse pirates. <laughs> horse pirates. And I've been laughing about it for an hour. That's the tweet. It's just something that I woke up this morning. I saw that tweet and I just laughed. And I thought, horse pirates. Wait a minute. That reminds me of something because I have some very exciting news. And it's related to horse pirates, a.k.a. cowboys. Ladies and gentlemen, I got new sneakers. Sneakers! (laughs) Celebrate it, people. I'm feeling good. Let me tell you about them. I'm very excited to talk about them. So, yes, I bought new shoes. I've talked about it before that I've been in the market for another pair, and I was going to get my my grail, my favorite shoe of all time, but there's just too much money, and I didn't really want to spend it. However, an opportunity came up for me to grab an incredibly interesting, exciting, unique pair of shoes that I think actually some of you might appreciate. So... They are called the Bodega Nike Dunk Legend. The shoe is deeply routed in nostalgia and Western culture. This is why it ties back to horse pirates. So the shoe itself is a Nike Dunk High, which is a classic shoe, which is top of the market right now. But it uses multiple different colors, mostly brown and earth tones. And it's stitched in a way to make it look like a cowboy boot and a baseball glove all together at the same time. So the pebble leather is paired with standard and hairy suede. It's got a lived in look that's supposed to kind of give you an idea of like longevity. There's raw hide laces. I'm excited to put those on raw hide for your actual shoelaces. And uh, you can untie bits of the stitching to let it hang off. Um, now, how does that relate to the West? I'll actually let the shoes designer explain process for you. Everything's working in this earth tone. This western deco stitch that wraps around the back panel here on both of these. That makes its way to the front as well as on the tongue here. My favorite element is the rawhide. I think I'm going to untie mine, let them hang a little. I might add a couple beads to it. It's like something where you can make the shoe your own. New territory is the jewel. The tortoiseshell swoosh didn't really exist before. On any Nike, you have a stash pocket on the inside because you might need to throw some stuff in there. Borders, some paper money, your ID, all the essentials. The rawhide lacing resembles a baseball glove or the deco stitch resembles Western cowboy boots and such. It's an attempt to like restore the feeling of nostalgic things. Almost like it fell out of the pages of your favorite piece of folklore. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. I'm excited. I don't have anything Western, and I've lived in Calgary for most of my life, and these shoes will look in place at the Calgary Stampede, and they look, the color combinations are so nice. Uh, Seriously, if you look them up, the stitching looks like a baseball glove, and uh, that made me smile because I remember playing catch, and I love the colors, and the best part is I got these at an absurdly great price. Thank you to the gentleman who hooked me up. And I'm also selling and clearing out a bunch of my pairs I don't wear anymore because I'm moving. So, And I got a GST check, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to treat myself. Everybody, treat yourself every now and then. So those are my new sneakers. They're coming soon to my collection, and I'm excited to have a stash pocket in one of my shoes because I can figure out what to put in there. So I'm very happy. Ryan Sneakers O'Donnell has a new pair of shoes. First pair in a while. So that's new. Here's a story that is super weird. And I can't wait to get your reaction to it. Because I saw this and I actually kind of 
had to go, wait, what? Because this is something completely unexpected in the music industry, especially in Canada's music industry. So unfortunately, my computer is a little bit frozen right now. So I'm going to go off the script from memory. <laughs> there is a certain Canadian artist. Oh, it's back. A Canadian music legend has sold half a stake in his song catalog, his entire catalog, to an investment company that specializes in using popular music for advertising. Now, who is it? Well, take a listen. Come a little bit closer Hear what I have to say Yeah. Neil Young. So we don't know what products yet? We don't know yet products yet. We actually have a little bit more information. Also, that song is the best song in the world to slow dance to. Completely off topic, but the Harvest Moon, great song. In your new shoes. In my new shoes, yes. You get to do some two-stepping in them. Anyway, so Global's Ross Lord, they took a deep dive into this and explained why the business deal has some music lovers worrying about their favorite artist legacies. As a legendary singer-songwriter, Neil Young has a reputation for protecting how his music is used. But Young's songs will be connected to commercial products, according to fellow Canadian Merck Mercuratus. He owns an investment company, Hypnosis, that just bought a 50% stake in Young's catalog. That's more than 1,000 songs. So we're able to put more time and effort into putting the songs in movies, TV commercials, making sure that they're on all the right playlists on Spotify and Apple. Mercuratus says he's been a Neil Young fan since he was a child. He says Young is at a point in his life where he's wondering what will become of the songs after he's gone. Using songs to sell other products isn't new. Remember this Bank of Montreal commercial from 1996? To this day, there's outrage that Bob Dylan allowed a classic protest song to be used in a bank promotion. I think we should fight against this. Like, like the times they are changing. These are counterculture songs against the man. Commercial songs are the man. Like, the it's Timexes, like they are a change. <laughs> Last month, Dylan sold publishing rights to his entire catalog, more than 600 songs, for between $300 million and $500 million. Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac fame recently sold her music for a reported $100 million. Young's deal includes more than a thousand songs reportedly for $150 million, although he keeps 50% ownership. My job is to bring Neil the best opportunities possible, but the, the decisions will be ultimately be made by Neil as to whether or not something is, is you know, is, is done with the song. On the receiving end of those decisions are fans, like this former music reviewer. So if you suddenly hear a song that helped define you and your personality and how you've lived, and suddenly it's selling motor oil, uh, might be good if you're a car fan, but if you're not a car fan, and you might be a little bit offended. He says it's unclear if song sell-offs are good for fans or if the only winners are the artists and businesses making the transactions. There's notes for you. Ross Lord, Global News. Well, if it mm -hmm. keeps the music alive, then so be it. But I got to tell you one thing that he's put himself in a bit of a pickle here, Dick, 
And that is uh, if his music gets used to promote anything that's made from plastic or oil or oil delivery. Uh, de- yep. Uh, um, derivatives. Then all of this, the integrity is gone and the sellout begins. I, you know what? It's their music. They can do what they want to do with their music. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. They want to use it. And frankly, if, if Bob Dylan's song brings, comes back to life because it's a snapshot from so many years ago, it gets brought back to life. Who cares if it's a bank? Whatever. It's there. They made it. They can do whatever they want with it. But in this case, because Neil Young has taken such a stand against anti-oil, anti-oil sands in his diesel bus, then, um, you know what? If the minute that those songs start to get into promoting oil products, then it's all gone. So yeah, I'm, that's heartbreaking. I'm completely, I'm completely for it, but you have to be careful. Well, hypocr- You're right. It's if it becomes hypocritical. Image. Yeah. I mean, if he's selling, uh, if he's selling, you know, if he sells a song to a bank, so be it. But I mean, they said about motor oil right there. They said, you know, song selling motor oil. And I found that incredibly ironic about this. I'd be like, can you imagine if a Neil Young song gets bought and they don't catch it and it gets used to sell motor oil? There'll be hell to pay. There will be. So I'm sure he put a lot of thought into this decision. And obviously there's a lot of money that he can make from this, but it would there are certain artists where it would be really weird to hear it in a commercial. And Neil Young is one of those artists where it's just, wait, what? It just goes against an idea. However, you know, it depends on what he, what the commercials for, you know, if they start throwing in a Greenpeace commercial, well, there you go. That makes sense, right? It's entirely up to him and his, uh, you know, his decisions. Right. So anyway, Neil Young, I'm interested to see where that goes. More and more artists, will they choose to do it, especially if they're older artists? Um, yeah. Uh, Maddie, do I got time for one more here? Um, well, uh, no, because I'm going to add one more point here. Um, Hit it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Uh, <laughs> I'll save it for tomorrow. I'm, I'm the master of time around here. Um, you know, with those, with those artists, um, Lindsey Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac sold like his entire catalog to the same company that, uh, that Neil Young did. Like Neil only gave half of his songs. Hopefully he, he, you know, kept piece of crap and effing up and, you know, like real, real, those real gems, you know, but I mean, that's the thing is like music publishing is a huge, huge revenue for whoever owns it. Sometimes the artist is lucky enough to own it. But sometimes they need and, to and have a say. Yeah. And, and, yeah. but sometimes they need to sell it just to, you know, make money. And maybe yep. a, a lot of these artists, these legacy artists, are now in a position. The touring machines have stopped. You know, the merchandising machines have stopped. They need to make some cash somehow. Well, when George Lucas sold Star Wars, there were some things he could contribute on and some things he couldn't. He had to give up the control because he sold it in some ways, right? And so that was one of the consequences of doing it. And if he, these guys sell the music and that's sometimes what happens to the point. I think that it's, um, it will be interesting. Um, it will be interesting to see what mm-hmm. comes of it because Neil Young has created uh, a, a persona around some of this stuff. And, you know, one of the texts from Rob, Rob said, you know, wouldn't it be ironic if one of the oil companies bought one of his songs to promote themselves? Um, and it would, it would be, <laughs> most certainly would be my goodness. Uh, in case you missed it, uh, there it is. Matt said you're out of time. Ryan. Yep, fair enough. Ryan. Uh... Thanks for listening to the shift podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify and curious cast.ca.